All right, good morning. How are we doing? All right, some of y'all are still wet, uh, and it's fun. Uh, it's good. Uh, we needed the rain, right? That's what you're supposed to say as a dad, uh, is we needed this. Um, we went like a whole entire year without it, so it's good. It's fine. Uh, nobody is mad about it, upset, really. Um, so my name is Colin Sosby. I serve as the student pastor here at Gateway, and it's a huge honor uh, and privilege not only to say that, but also to just open up God's word with you, uh, you know, to be a person up here to uh, just really just to preach and proclaim God's word, that's a, there's a lot of weight to that, uh, and I don't take this lightly uh, by any standard, and, uh, and it's just an honor and privilege uh, for Pastor Blake to trust me, uh, but also the elders to, to allow me in this situation, uh, you know, and I'm just extremely thankful. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 27, and you'll kind of just once you get there, you'll... Uh, just kind of place a pause on that. Uh, I kind of wanted to share a story about why I love student ministry or a perk of student ministry that I love uh, is really getting to partner with school districts. Uh, you know, I love being in, invested in school districts and, you know, invested into the community, uh, you know, more or less just to, to meet students where they're at. Uh, and so I've got a picture on the screen uh, that kind of shows a little bit about this. Um, and so this is me and my, my guy, Austin, uh, Bullard Panther. Uh, we just moved from Bullard, uh, just south of Tyler. Uh, I served for about two and a half years as the Bullard Panther chaplain. Uh, now, before you look up and you're like, man, we're in, like, with royalty, uh, it's fine. I'm going to tell you why this is a humbling experience as well. My first year at Bullard, uh, kind of was watching the team. I've been around some championship programs. I've also been around some uh, just decent programs. Uh, and Bullard shocked us, okay? And I, I love every single one of those guys, and they're doing great. Uh, the first year, they suited out about 22 uh, sophomores at the time, uh, which in any like division, especially a 4A, you're not looking great when you're having a sophomore go up against a senior. Uh, and so my first year as the chaplain, we went 0-10, uh, and just so you know that that's zero wins, 10 losses, okay? I got tired of talking about adversity and facing adversity. And they're like, when, when tough times come, this is how we face, like it was kind of, I was beating a dead uh, horse there and it wasn't fun. Uh, but what happened was uh, there was a moment where we're at the end of the year, 0-9, uh, and it doesn't look great, but for some reason, the way UIL is set up, uh, you just have to not finish last in district to make playoffs nowadays. Uh, and so we're playing another team, Mejia. They are also 0-9, okay? District game of the year against two teams who haven't won anything. Uh, and so we're kind of lined up and we're like, you know what? This hasn't been a great year, but I like our chances, okay? We just have to beat Mejia and we're in the playoffs and then we can get killed in the first round, but we made playoffs. Uh, and so I remember I'm, I'm kind of there in pregame devotional. I was killer in my opinion. Uh, you know, I thought if anything, we won the pregame Devo that day. Uh, and so I remember we're kind of just excited about the opportunity to just play and possibly get into the playoffs. The coaches had even had a game plan of, you know, here's what like practice will look like when we win, kind of just speaking some positivity and some life into the situation. And it came down to the final play, all right? And what I don't love about uh, high school football is that when it comes down to the final play and you have to trust a 16-year-old, uh, that's not always fun. 
It's even worse when you're trusting a 14-year-old who barely knows how to shave. Uh, And so we're looking at this sophomore, and he is lined up to just receive this kick. If he can just get out of bounds, we're fine. We can start running some plays. They had scheduled this out, practiced, owned the moment. Kid gets the ball, and it's there. He's lined up perfect. We thought it was great. Slips between his hands, bounces off of his knee, goes straight to the other team to score an easiest touchdown that they scored all year. We go 0-10. And so I remember that was just heartbreaking. Uh, My least favorite part of being a chaplain for a football team is the end of the year watching seniors cry uh, because they're they're hanging their jersey up possibly for the last time. And it was even worse because everybody's boohooing except for Austin. And what I loved about Austin's mentality was he knew, hey, this isn't it for me. But he knew the sting of 0-10. And he started challenging his teammates the moment they got into the weight room. After they had watched film, done their thing on Saturday, they get into the weight room on Monday morning. And he said, hey, remember that sting. Just remember that. That pain. The heartbreak. The embarrassment that we're the first team in Bullard's history to go 0-10. And And it changed the whole entire scene for the rest of the year. And so they were challenging each other and challenging each other. And this became a picture. Uh, The reason why I picked Proverbs 27 is because of 27.17. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Simple verse. If you have uh, been around athletics at all, this has probably been a verse for you. Uh, If you have been in a connect group or a community uh, type of aspect, this has been kind of the verse that somebody has used to to talk about curriculum and, and why groups matter. And this whole entire time, I was just looking at this verse thinking like, hey, when adversity hits and when when hard times come, what does it look like to go through that? Because iron is sharpening iron means that there's going to be sparks that fly. It's not an easy process, not something that you would enjoy going through. But what I realized is that this is deeper than just adversity. This is about really just being. And so when when we talk about this, it's just living life. Are you going to be somebody who sharpens one another, or are you going to be somebody who doles them out? Like when the sparks fly, is it really just doling the other person out? And so when I look at this verse, that that story of Bullard's season and how they responded to that challenged me to see that verse a little bit different because it was about just being a person who is willing to challenge one another. The, The purpose of life is for us to know God and to make him known. And so you need people around you to build you up and to encourage you to walk in your faith. And that's the stuff that you preach to your kids, okay? I know because in student ministry, that would be the thing. We talk about your community, the five people closest to you, that's who you become. And like all of those, those truths that your grandmother taught you, that you are teaching your kids and you will teach your grandkids, though, that is a simple truth. Uh, and I was kind of like weirded out because I'm like, this is kind of, when we talk about relationships and friendships, that's a student ministry talk. How do you talk to adults about this? And then I read something this weekend uh, that talked about statistics will show that uh, men over the age of 50 are some of the loneliest people in the world because we built really good work relationships. We didn't really build real relationships that sustain when you retire. And so some of us are like, okay, hey, you've read my mail. And some of us, we have to just realize, like, we were never created to do life alone. This is going to be deeper than a plug for Connect Group. This is a plug for just being a good person and a good friend and somebody who values relationships because Jesus valued relationships. 
He did life with 12 people. He poured his life into them. We also have to think that he even says, like, hey, how will people know that you belong to me is because of the way that you love others. We even see in the beginning, God created everything was good, everything was good except for Adam being alone. Creates him a helpmate. That we even see that there, when he's talking, the creation of the image is him talking with the Trinity. There is relationship built into our DNA. It's very important. And so for us in the room, when we look at Proverbs 27, I also need you to see this, that 16 out of the 27 verses in this chapter are all about relationships. The wisest man on earth valued relationships. And so if you take notes, uh, my main point for today is to how to have wise friendships or wise relationships. Because we all have them. Whether you try to ha- make it happen or not, uh, you have them. You have one with a spouse or with a friend, a coworker, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, or just your neighbor. We all have relationships. It all naturally happens. So how can we be wise in our relationships? Super glad you asked. So here is verse 1 and 27. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what the day may bring. Let another praise you, and not your own mouth. A stranger, not your own lips. A stone is heavy, and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. So he starts out verse 1, and you kind of would, if you just hit pause, looked at that verse, how does that about relationships? This is about your relationship with God. And so the first truth I want us to just kind of sink our teeth into uh, this morning is to sit down and be humble. To sit down and be humble. Because he is saying here, your, your posture with God cannot be one that you think you know what's going to happen tomorrow. Only God knows. Like the breath you took this morning was a gift from him and it's a huge blessing. And then mainly just because we're Americans, we try to schedule out everything and we'll schedule out stuff a year in advance. And it's, I mean, it's just how we were built. Uh, And the reality is, is what he's saying here is not, hey, you shouldn't schedule, but you shouldn't boast about those plans. You don't know what happens tomorrow. And so he's saying, hey, the posture here is that sometimes we play God with our schedules, sometimes we play God with our time, and sometimes we play God uh, in the the fact that we'll boast about, I know that's going to happen, or I know this is what's going to be. And he's saying, hey, no, you need to take a seat. You have to sit down. You're not God. You're not in control. Only God is. We have to just trust him. I mean, we just sang about it. It's so sweet to trust in Jesus. You can't trust him if you're the one who's trying to take charge and leading. But you can trust him when you sit down and say, hey, I know you're in control. I know you're in control. Let another praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger, not your own lips. This is easy because I've seen as an adult that nobody really loves to just brag about themselves. Uh, and if you do brag about yourself or you know somebody who brags about themselves, you usually kind of distance yourself a little bit, right? So part of being humble is, hey, he's saying like, hey, you would not brag. You do not talk about yourself, your accomplishments, your achievements. It's really hard because in today's culture, that's all we want to do is look at what my kid did, all A honor roll, all A student, all, you know, all of these things that we've accomplished. And because we really try to take pride in ourselves and the things we've done and who we are, Like we had tied our identity to accomplishments, not resting in the fact of who Jesus has called us to be. 
And so when we say sit down and be humble, this is a reality of like you're worried so much about other people that you really aren't just necessarily looking at yourself all the time. And this isn't about like, hey, pushing yourself down because that's false humility and that's almost as worse as like just out front humility or I mean uh, just bragging about yourself. But it's this natural like bend of like we really are prideful but we also have to lean into the fact of like, hey, we just need to be humble and be confident in who God has created us to be. Be confident in the situations that we're placed in. Not in our own doing, but in Christ. And he's saying here like, hey, don't let somebody praise you, not your mouth, a stranger. And I struggle with this a lot. You, you don't believe me, just ask Katie Sosby, my wife. Because I have a tendency to try to ask and like fish for questions a lot of times. Because I want to see what she thought of me in that moment. And that's not what this proverb is saying. You know, like, how, how do you think I did there? Or like, what, did the, what was your thoughts here? And it seems like humility of me just asking, but it's really just the pride in me that's seeping out, trying to fish for a question here too to just get some kind of confirmation. Or back when I was an athlete myself uh, playing basketball, I remember I would finish the game and I would grab the stat book, not because I was trying to see how the team did, I wanted to see my stat line. Like, oh man, I scored a lot of points today. Got a lot of rebounds. Man, that's gonna be impressive to some college coach, right? I was always aware of myself, but not aware of the needs for others. And I'll even tell you, like, an assist in basketball is when you passed it to a teammate and they scored. I didn't even care about that stat line. I just wanted mine. And there's, like, this tendency in life where we walk in pride, where we walk into the room and it's about us. You ask that question because you want to know more about you. Where you don't listen well to others because you don't really care what they have to say. And if you think like, ooh, that's like, that's tough. This is me. I'm talking to me. Y'all are just in the same room with me. But the reality is, it's like a person who is able to sit down and be humble has a correct relationship with God and it affects your relationship with others. Like, are you the loudest voice in the room because you think that you have value that adds to this conversation? Or are you just literally like, hey, I've got some wise wisdom here. Like, do you feel the need to be heard and seen? Or are you so confident in what God has created you to be and who God has made you to be that you don't have to be the loudest one all the time? Because scripture would say the loudest voice in the room, sometimes without love, without humility, is a noisy symbol, not good. But he's saying here, hey, sit down and be humble. It doesn't mean that you don't voice an opinion. It doesn't mean that you're not heard. It just means that you're not trying that for your own benefit and for your own good. How he ends this uh, section of scripture in 27 is he's saying, hey, a stone is heavy and a sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Uh, he's talking about just a person who would have been working would have had to carry stone and sand, uh, whether it was building walls or just uh, even just in building, uh, using those as tools uh, to make something great. And he's saying, hey, we recognize those things are heavy. Right? Like, you know that that's, that's got some weight to it. But what is weightier than that is the reaction from fools. 
And so it's kind of like the whole thing of like you pray for patience, God's going to really push you to the test immediately. It's the same thing when you're saying, God, just humble my heart. You're going to hear some loud voices. You're going to be annoyed by other people. And he's saying here, you got to be careful of how you're reacting to that uh, because that, that's got some weight that's heavier than carrying stone and sand. We've got a loud and noisy world. Our reaction matters. Your, your humility is not that you would just brash out of anger, but instead you're able to sit down and be humble. And so when, we're, when we talk about this, like this reacting to others and other people talking and, and how we interact with others, you have to do what I see secondly in this passage is to inspect your motives. Inspect your motives. He continues on uh, in chapter 27, uh, and he's saying, wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Better is open rebuke than hidden love. And, I mean, this is kind of this, this heartbreaking moment, because I know there's sometimes where I get, uh, you know, just pushed into a situation out of foolishness from somebody else, and then I try to react, and, and I don't always say the right thing. That heat of the moment. And he's saying here, hey, wrath, it's cruel. Anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? What I want us to see is that anger is jealousy with a mic. Anger is jealousy with a mic, meaning it's jealousy amplified. When we respond out of anger, there's some bit of jealousy in our hearts. We have to inspect our motives. Why are we interacting? Why are we saying the words that we say? How do we talk with one another? Because if it's out of jealousy, maybe I can't believe that they went on that vacation, or I can't believe that, that they got to do that, or I can't believe he got that promotion, I didn't get that promotion, I can't believe the boss noticed him, didn't notice me, I'm the one who put in that hard work, they don't even understand. Or I can't believe that they're, they're praising the team, not the head honcho, I'm the one who was in control, I was the one who uh, signed off on that. And so maybe our interactions is a little uh, brash and a little hateful and, and there's some anger and some cruelty to it simply because it was birthed out of jealousy. Jealousy is what's in the heart. Anger and wrath are the things that we see. And so he's saying here, hey, you need to inspect your motives, right? Inspect your motives. And so this is kind of just like the, the, the moment that when iron sharpens iron, the sparks have flown, is are you really trying to just break somebody down or are you trying to build them up? Is it because of jealousy in your heart that you're trying to just tear them down, dull them down, and just humble them? Or are you really just interacting out of just pure love, pure humility? When humility is in our hearts, the rebuke or maybe the correction that we can give to others or that we receive from others is just love. It's not jealousy. It's pure motives. It's pure motives. And like I know, I mean, we talked about it, today, maybe putting our identity in the things that we achieve or things that we have, our stuff, status, and trinkets in life. And sometimes we put our identity in those things. And sometimes it's really hard to not look at other people and see that they have something we don't and it's really hard to not have jealousy just overflow out of anger and cruelty in our personal interactions. It's hard. But he's even saying here, like, if you've inspected your motives, then what you see uh, is that you have really fully loved somebody. 
And he says it in verse 5, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Uh, and he's, this is really kind of hard for me because sometimes I'll see something in somebody else and sometimes it's a choice between like, hey, am I going to speak out here and build them up or you know, just point them towards Christ, make them see how Christ is in this moment or am I going to tear them down out of jealousy? And he's saying here, hey, better is open rebuke than hidden love. The relationships that you should have that are building you towards Christ is one where everything's on the table and it's open to talk about, not out of jealousy in your heart, but because it's fully, uh, to be fully known and fully loved. And men in the room, this is hard because sometimes we, we take pride in our things and we don't really love to just share feelings and, and share who we are. And that's not necessarily what this is about, but it's saying, hey, do you have the type of relationship where if somebody saw something in you that was not Christ-likeness, are they able to speak up? Or are you willing to have hidden love? And sometimes it's like those things like in me where I see something and I'm like, hey, I know I need to speak into that, but I really love them and I don't want to hurt the relationship. What he's saying here is that that's hidden love. What he's saying here is that you're not really loving them that you are hiding some love back. And I want to tell you that Jesus didn't do that towards us because it's like as hard and cruel as it was as he saw us as sinners and he didn't say, ah, they'll figure it out maybe. No, he had a plan of redemption. Genesis 3, plan of redemption is saying, and he's saying, hey, I'm gonna send my son. He's going to kill sin once and for all. He's gonna destroy sin once and for all. He had that plan of redemption from the beginning and to be fully loving towards us he took all of that wrath upon himself dying on the cross but there was no secrecy about it he was very clear what his mission was every interaction he had with one-on-one -on -one conversations there was some open rebuke of like, hey, you're chasing the wrong thing. You're looking for love in that kind of relationship, but you'll never really find it. It was always this openness about him. So we have to inspect our motives. Why are we reacting the way that we're reacting? Why are we saying the things that we're saying? Why are we communicating or how are we communicating? The more that we see that and the more that we'll see in life, like, hey, there's going to be some moments where we have to openly love somebody by correcting them, We'll see the last part here. The last truth I want us to dig out of Proverbs 27 is to accept correction and defer to wisdom. Accept correction and defer to wisdom. He ends here in saying, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. One who is full loathes honey, but to the one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Uh, and so how I've seen this play out in my life is uh, not only in the game or in athletics, but uh, I also performed in band. Uh, and so I remember after Friday nights, uh, we would march and do our routine. And really, we were trying to get better so that we could do a marching competition. And, you know, that would also kind of be how we were fully judged in that moment. And so we would try to take these steps every Friday to look at the film, to watch who was missing a line, who missed a note, like, hey, like our band director had a good ear to know, hey, that was the brass section, they missed something here, they were off, uh, or, you know, just looking and you could see the lines and you'd be like, it's not supposed to be waves, it was supposed to be straight lines because uh, we were a military band and so it was like everything should be straight and in line and in order. And I remember 
literally just sitting there, all six foot of me, this, this athlete and this jock who just happened to be in the band. And I remember when the band director pressed pause every single time to look at how I was off and how I went from six foot tall to two foot, feeling like I'm in kindergarten, first day of school. Every single time. We hate correction. Because it's putting the spotlight on us for maybe the wrong reason. But biblically, wisdom says like, hey, you should accept it. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I say defer to wisdom because I want this to be a... There is going to be sometimes you hear something out of the jealousy of somebody's heart, and it's in the wrong motivation. And so you'll hear something like, hey, I've seen this in you, and you need to correct this, this, and this. You need to defer to wisdom ultimately, not man's wisdom, but God's wisdom. You should always go back to that. Even in the compliments, go back to that. But he's saying, hey, hey, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Now, how good it is to receive that correction. So many times in Proverbs, it talks about receiving correction, and what's our response to it? Proverbs 12.1, and one of my favorite passages of Scripture, uh, for all the wrong reasons, uh, it says that if you hate correction, you hate rebuke, the Bible calls you stupid. He who hates reproof is stupid. And so he's like blunt about this because it's saying, hey, you have to be open to receiving and accepting that correction because it only makes you better. But there's some of us that will say profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And if we're honest, like if I'm honest, I really like when people talk good about me, not when they point out the bad things. So I will even listen to the wrong audience who's bragging about me. And I'll take the kisses of the enemy over the correction of a friend who is walking in wisdom, walking in humility. Because that sounds so much better than where I need to correct myself. And then there's some of us that we'll, we'll pick our wise friends, and we're really smart, we're building a team, and we'll pick all the cheerleaders. And here's what I mean by that. When a football team is down 70 to nothing, the cheerleaders still have to cheer. Like, they still have some glimmer of hope when it's like, we have two minutes on the clock, go, fight, win. It's like, no, we're not, like, at all. Like, it's over, but they still cheer because that's their job. And some of us, we have a lot of cheerleaders in our life who are talking all the good things. We love it. We love it. We love it. And it's not necessarily pointing us towards Christ. It's just pointing us towards ourselves. And we love the cheerleaders in our life. And there's some of us that we're cheerleaders. Like we are just nothing but encouragement, nothing negative. We don't like to speak that. And like, it's like, hey, there's some, there's some value to who you are in the right time. But cheerleaders have to become a coach sometimes and say, hey, we're doing good, but here's where I'm seeing where you're missing the mark and not being like Christ. You have to be open to receiving that. Like, it's hard, but this is what he's saying here in Scripture. is like, it, it's, it's wounds, it hurts, but it's necessary. Growth can happen in those seasons. Now, I also want to speak to the person who loves to be uh, like the defensive coordinator in life who just yells and screams all the time and never is good enough. Faithful are some encouraging words to you. It's not always as bad as you think it is. And sometimes in life, what we need the most is somebody saying, hey, we're doing good. 
that you don't really know what's going on in the other person's life sometimes, that the most life you can speak and the best thing you can do is to cheer them on. We have a lot of negativity in the world. A lot. And sometimes the best thing we can do is to cheer people on. But it comes with this price of also, if we're going to speak life into them, we also have to just point truth. It's grace and truth at the same time. Which means sometimes it's hard conversations and sometimes it's the easy, fun ones. And sometimes we're going to receive some like corrective criticism, but you have to have the mindset too of it's coming from a critical mind, not a critical heart. A person who loves you is going to speak truth to you even when it doesn't feel good. I mean, even just see this. If you're filling yourself up with the, the cheerleaders in life, you're going to loathe honey, the thing that is going to sustain you. But the person who's hungry, everything bitter, everything wrong, it's sweet. You'll eat all of that up. And the Proverbs is very clear in the relationships of life. We have to be willing to build one another up. But we also have to be willing to just point people to Christ, even when it's a tough conversation. Throughout this summer, we've talked through the book of Proverbs, and it's a lot of just like life hacks, like, hey, you can do this, you can do that, and it, you do all of these things. And if your motivation is just to be a better person and you're going to accomplish everything the Proverbs say, your motivation lasts two weeks, life gets hard, and you're out. Because you're not going to be perfect. The person who's writing Proverbs is talking wisdom because he's seen some imperfection in his life, and he's writing wisdom to say, hey, here is the correct way. But what I know is that in Romans, it says that, hey, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all made mistakes. None of us are perfect. None of us can hit these Proverbs every single time, every single day. But he's saying, hey, there is a God. In Ephesians 2, he writes, but God, being rich in mercy, faithful to love you, he loved you so much that he died on the cross, giving you the, the gift of salvation. And so if you've been here all summer, maybe this is your first time, you can hear this about how to have a wise relationship and try to accomplish all those things. And you're just accomplishing good things. But good things don't get you to heaven. Just the work that Jesus did on the cross. And it takes you back to point one, you have to be humble. To walk in humility means you surrender in humility. And so I'm gonna pray and then when I, I pray the band is coming up. We're going to respond. Anytime God's word is open, it demands a response. And so maybe you are here and you're like, hey, I have not been a wise friend. I've made mistakes. There's somebody I, I've said something to. Here's your response. You walk out those doors, you get on the phone and you call them. And you apologize. Own your fault. And there's some of us that we could do that and it would just be a really nice thing to do. We've never surrendered our lives to Christ. And so your response is to find me or a staff member in the back at the Next Step Center and you talk to us about your relationship. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you for this day. God, I thank you for uh, who you are. God, that you would gift wisdom that would be recorded and preserved for thousands of years for us to just get some truth and get some wisdom and to just hold on to what it means to walk in you. God, I'm asking right now is that we prepare our hearts for response, that we would respond however you are calling us to you.
God, that you would move in our hearts, that we would be just overwhelmed by the love that you've given us, that we'd be overwhelmed by what you did for us on the cross, that we would surrender in humility daily. God, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.